This podcast is the second in a series of three teachings I did at Hidden Acres Christian Camp. Hey friends, I'm Tori. Welcome to Walk With Me. Walk With Me is a place where real women share real stories of real struggles and joys as they walk together along this rocky road we call life. do I believe? And today we're going to talk about what's true about me. You know what's true about you gals? You're lavishly loved. So what's our phrase for the weekend? Do you guys remember? Okay, hashtag, we got the hashtag thing going. Yeah, hashtag, hashtag lavishly loved. Okay, what's the catchphrase? Believing what is really true is what will truly happy you. Now, if you're just coming in this morning, you're thinking that's weird because it's not really very grammatically correct. And I also know my hashtags don't have grammatical, like, apostrophes and things because you don't do that with a hashtag. So um, I I realize that. Uh, So the believing what is really true is what will truly happy you. So I'll catch you up. When our son was a toddler, he would say when he was really happy, that happies me. And so we kind of adopted that as a, as a catchphrase or a hashtag for our family when something truly satisfied or delighted us. So that kind of catches you up to speed with our, our catchphrase. Believing what is really true is what will truly happy you. There are a lot, there's a lot of things you're believing even about yourself that aren't true. So we're going to clear that up today. Here, um, here are the things. We have three big ideas. You'll... you'll see that that's kind of true of how I talk. Three big ideas, okay? So let's, uh, last night we talked about whose truth are you believing? Are you believing God's truth or are you believing your truth? Today, this morning, we're going to talk about what's true about me, what's true about you, all of us. And this afternoon, we're going to talk about what's true about God. Okay, so let's go back to our three big ideas. Yes, very good. Okay, so we have three big ideas this morning. I'm going to teach you about seeing yourself, teach you about seeing God, and I'm going to teach you about seeing love, those three things. And we're going to study Ephesians today. We kind of skipped around the Bible last night. We're going to study a book this morning, Ephesians, okay? We're going to study part of Ephesians. And a lot of it, your booklet's fat because I gave Rochelle so much information to put in there. So you have your scripture in your book, which will help you. All right, so as I told you in the last session, before I could become deeply satisfied with my life, I had to decide who was the boss. I had to decide if I was going to believe what I felt and what the world was telling me was, I was, was true or if I was going to believe what the Bible said was true and what God was showing me was true in the Bible. Once I did that, I had to believe that what he said about me was true. What he said about my worth, what he said about my redemption, what he said about my body image was true. The song that we just sang, I am who you say I am, man, I can worship God during that because I have to believe I am who you say I am. I am not who my mind says I am. I'm not who I think you think I am. I'm not who the world says I am. I am who God says I am. I am who you say I am. Um, So I had to line up my feelings with what God 
said was true, God's honest truth. Do you know we can use this Bible as a ruler because it, it tells us the truth? So if you use your Bible as a ruler to compare your fears or your thoughts with it, it tells you the truth. So your Bible is also a ruler. Okay, did you guys ever sing the song, Jesus Loves Me? Hey, can we pull that up back there? I didn't even ask Tony about that. Can we pull that song up? Just did Jesus love me? No? Okay. It's okay. Um, so let's just do that first. Let's just do, we're going to sing. Remember I sang a song for you last night. We're going to sing a little song um, because I want you to believe. You used to believe it. Jesus loves me. So it starts, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Excellent. You guys are fantastic. That was like should have been recorded. You guys are all harmonizing. Very good. You used to believe that. When you were a child, you believed that. Do you believe it now? Amen. You need to believe it. It's true. So let's start talking about seeing ourselves. Okay, did your markers, did any of your markers, the way that you kind of either start thinking on autopilot or you go with what God says, did any of those markers, did they deal with how you think about your, how you view yourself? Who had markers that deal with how they view themselves? Like I feel inferior when or, okay. I do. Um, I tend to be fairly unsatisfied with myself. I told you that last night. I tend to be kind of discontented. Do you? Are you guys unsatisfied with yourself? Is that just me? Nobody's doing anything. Okay, I think we as American women actually, as a, as a whole, are fairly unsatisfied with ourselves. And if, if you're not, then I'm not talking to you, but you can listen. Um, so either, you know, I feel like I need to lose weight, or my hair looks bad, or I sounded stupid in what I said to that person, then I evaluate it over and over again. That, does that ring true? Oh, see, I got, I got that. Okay? We all second guess ourselves because we're comparing ourselves with ourselves and with others. So don't let you think, don't you guys, don't think because I'm standing up here that I have it all together, okay? Don't think because I'm up here telling you what God taught me that I have it all together. We're all alike. We're sisters. I struggle the same way you struggle. You guys struggle the same way I struggle. We need to stop carrying around this guilt and shame about ourselves because it's not how God thinks of us. And so you guys may compare yourself. You know, when I'm, not, when I'm not operating in a good place and I'm just going by default, I'm not thinking with truth, I'll sit in a place and a woman will walk in and I'll judge her. I'll put her above or below myself. You do that? We all do it. It's not good. 
But you know it's true. We all compare ourselves, and we decide if we're better or worse than the other person. Don't do that. We all do it. It's a bad thing to do. So that's the reality of who we think we are. Don't look at other women and think that they are they're confident and self-assured and content. They probably have struggles. Everybody has a story. Everybody has struggles that you don't know anything about. And the way that you see them may not be the way they see themselves. And it's probably definitely not the way God sees them. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, that when we measure ourselves, I can't see this, by ourselves, we are not wise. When we measure ourselves by ourselves, we're not wise. You know what social media is? I'm not here to slam social media. I do social media. But you know what social media does? It makes us measure ourselves by ourselves. It often makes us feel bad about ourselves. Like, wow, I didn't throw a massive party for my one-year-old. They didn't even know they had a birthday, you know? <laughs> Seriously, guys, you look at, like, uh, Instagram or Pinterest, and you think, wow, I'm in app. Look at all those people are doing. Don't do that. That's not healthy for you. It's not what God thinks of you. So when I am believing when I'm believing the wrong things, the untrue things, that's not the way that God wants my mind to operate. What we think and see in our minds affects how we feel about ourselves. Today, I'm going to help you see you how God sees you. <clears throat> we need to stop caring what others think of us and start reveling in what God thinks of us. Can I get an amen? Amen. We need to stop caring about what others think of us and start reveling in what God thinks of us. When we compare ourselves, like I said, by looking at other women's lives on social media or movies or blogs, we feel inferior. Most of that's not true. Most of it's created to look really good. I know I've seen people's Instagram or Facebook posts where they look like they're having great family time or everything's beautiful in their house, but I know that person. <laughs> And I know that's not true. We do that. We want to put the best face forward so other people think well of us. Well, you know what? If you're in Christ, God already thinks you're fantastic. So when we compare ourselves by looking at other women's lives, you know, we say, I'm not as good as her. I'm not as successful as her. I'm not as productive. I'm not a oh, man. When I, my kids were little, my, my one goal was keeping them alive. So I could not plant flowers, and I could not do the big birthday parties. I could barely keep myself alive. So that was my one goal, is to keep them alive. So if you're a mom here, keeping your kids alive is a good goal. Okay, that's honorable. Keep doing it. That's enough. That's enough. So if you think you can't achieve that picture-perfect life, neither can they. Their life is not picture-perfect. And we'll, you'll never be good enough. They'll never be good enough. But guess what? Jesus did have a picture-perfect life, and he is good enough. When you make him your boss, then you are too. It's only when we view ourselves through the truth of the gospel that we will be truly satisfied with who we are. 
Now listen to me. Stop putting yourself down or building yourself up. Maybe some of you are different than me, okay? Maybe you are holding yourself up. Do you remember in the Old Testament when the people started building the big tower and they said, we're going to be a big tower to the sky because we think we're fantastic. Tower of Babel, remember that? God didn't like that because they were making much of themselves. So it's only when we view ourselves to the truth of the gospel we can tr be truly satisfied with who we are. We're all sinners saved by God's awesome and undeserved grace, and he loves us. The God of the universe loves us. The God of the universe loves us. That is what is true. Amen. Can I get a hashtag truth? Hashtag truth. Okay. If you weren't here last night, you missed it, but we made a big deal of hashtags. Okay. So if the God of the universe loves me doesn't trump all, I don't know what does. What are you looking for? If you've never accepted the free love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, do it now. Say, okay, God, you're the boss. I'm not the boss anymore. You're the boss. If you haven't done that, you're not in Christ. And I'm going to talk all about being in Christ and all the benefits that you have. Okay, since we're talking about seeing things clearly, I'm going to tell you a little story. Okay, so um, when you get older, your eyes stop working. Okay? <laughs> they stop working. Isn't that right, Brandy? Okay, um, so when you get older, your eyes don't work very well, and um, I noticed that, so when I went to the hairdresser, she, she sold me, do you notice how your hairdresser always tries to sell you, like the shampoo they have in the shop? Okay, well, she did it. She showed me the, these two um, identical-looking, like, purplish bottles, you know, shampoo and conditioner, and then, of course, I took them home, but when I'm in the shower, I'm not wearing glasses, um, and so these are identical looking, these are identical looking bottles. Okay, so I realized that I really had no idea which one was the shampoo and which was the conditioner. Well, lots of times I really have no idea if I've actually washed my hair because I can't remember. Because, <laughs> like, did, it, did I wash it? I don't know, I'll do it again. So I probably go through the bottles of shampoo super fast. Okay, but anyway. They had little teeny, they have tiny print on these things, okay? So I'm like this, <laughs> trying to see if I'm washing my hair with shampoo or conditioner. So uh, I decided it was probably time to go to the eye doctor. And so when I went to the eye doctor, um, he said, okay, you have regular contacts and you can use the little readers. And I said, well, yeah, I can't use the readers in the shower. And so he said, okay, we have these things called progressive contacts. So that means contacts for old people that need bifocals. So I got those, and guess what? I can see the little tiny print on the bottles, and I was using shampoo for conditioner and, and conditioner for shampoo. So now I've switched them, and the, but the real kicker is I also bought this mousse, and so every time I was using the mousse, and it didn't look the same, and I didn't use that in the shower, but every time I used the mousse, I was shaking it up to try to get it you know, nice and foamy, and then when I could read the mousse, it said, in big, bold letters, do not shake. <laughs> so I was wondering why it wasn't working very well. Okay, so I tell you all of that. <clears throat> I tell you all of that because I thought in my head that I was doing the right thing because 
my perception was that this was the shampoo and this was the conditioner. That wasn't true because my vision was not accurate. So your perception of who you are is not truth. Truth helps interpret conflicting signals. Okay, so your perception of who you are is based on what you think other people think of you, is based on what the society says about you, it's based on what you think of yourself. So, I mean, look out the windows, you know, when you look around, your eye and your brain work together to interpret and say, oh, that's a tree, or that's a bush, or like, I was hiking in Wyoming a few weeks ago, we were there, and there was a burnt, like, tree, and because I perceived that it was a bear, okay, it's a burnt tree, guys, because I thought it was a bear, do you know how that is? Like the, maybe not the bear part, but you know how it is when you think something is something it's not? Like the hair on the back of my neck stood up, and I got, like, goosebumps. And it wasn't a bear, because I didn't know what I was going to do about it. I had nothing but my hiking pole, you know. So... It was not a bear, but that's how my brain, my eyes saw something that looked black and big, and I thought it was a bear. It wasn't a bear. So my eyes were not telling my brain the right thing. So your eye and your brain works together in partnership to interpret what you're seeing from the outside world. Okay, seeing is a form of sensory reasoning. Seeing is a form of sensory reasoning. Today we're gonna talk about perception reasoning how you perceive yourself, how your brain perceives yourself, how to believe what is true about you, how to believe that what God says is true about you, how you think God sees you or how you think of yourself, over-impressive or under-impressive, may not be accurate. Truth will help clear your vision like my contacts helped clear my vision so I could read the, the fine print. So when you feed truth, into your brain, it will clear up your perception of who you are. You'll be able to read the fine print of who you are. So truth prunes our brains. Who's ever pruned like a bush? I pruned a bush. Okay, when you prune something, what happens? It grows back better. Yep, it grows back better. God's word is an accurate measure. Other people's opinions aren't. So if you prune your brain with God's truth, it grows back better. Literally, your brains are what they call plastic. So there's a whole science of neuroplasticity. So if we're feeding truth in our brains, we're going to create these grooves that are positive and true. If we're feeding lies and negative thoughts into our brain, we're also going to create those grooves. And those grooves are really easy. They're your default. That's why it's hard to learn a a foreign language when you're an adult, because it takes a lot of work and practice to create a new groove. So that's my scientific, <laughs> that's my scientific uh, explanation of neuroplasticity. Okay, so truth prunes our brains. God's word is an accurate measure. Other people's opinions are. In the same way that my new context changed the way I see, God's truth changes the way we believe. God's truth changes the way we believe. You know, at first you can look at things, we're gonna look at Ephesians 2, and say like, oh, that's me? Ugh, that feels bad. And it's hard and painful. But if you prune away that badness, then it, you, you become more fruitful in your mind. So what I, what it, what I think is fine-tuned to what is true. 
And then I can determine when Satan's trying to fire his, his arrows in me and say, like, you're not worth it. You're not productive. You're not this. You're not this. When he's doing that and he's telling me who I am, I can stop those and say, that's not true. Satan, get away from me. Get behind me. That's not true. Remember last night I talked about thinking about how you're thinking? Okay. Truth helps you think about how you're thinking. And you can stop it and say, no, I'm supposed to capture every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Satan, that's not true about me. I am chosen. I'm, I'm redeemed. I am who God says I am. Okay. So <clears throat> truth prunes our brains. So we talked about perceptions are not truth. Our second thing is beliefs determine feelings. Beliefs determine feelings. I thought that log in the forest was a bear, and I was scared. But that wasn't true. That log was not a bear. But because I believed it was a bear, I was scared. So beliefs determine feelings. Okay, here's something to write down. Feelings are great liars. Okay? Feelings are great liars. Great in the sense of huge, okay? Or big huge. That's how my, my son used to say everything. Big huge, you speak huge. So feelings are big huge liars, okay? Feelings are great liars. In my most recent case of discontentment, I thought that I was no longer valuable because my kids left home. And that's what I did. You know, I raised my kids. And so I acted like it. I saw myself as a victim. I had a lot of pity parties for myself. I told you all those things that I tried to make myself happy with. Um, I, I felt really weak. I felt like I didn't know who I was or what I was supposed to be about, so I felt really sorry for myself. And rather than be a victor through Jesus, which is true and it's what I am, I was being a victim. I bet you guys all have done that. So think of people believing lies in history. <clears throat> think of Hitler. Think of the Holocaust. Think of Jim Jones. Who in here like is too young to know about Jim Jones? Probably. Okay, have you ever heard of like drink the Kool Aid? Jim Jones. Okay, that was a cult. They thought they were going to get raided. He encouraged all the cult to like, hey, look. It was actually not like Kool Aid. It was some off brand, you know, and like. <clears throat> Drink mix. Seriously, guys. He said, we're all going to drink it, and then we're all going to die. That happened. They were believing a lie. They were believing that that was best for them. Think about War of the World's broadcast. I know most of you aren't old enough to remember that, but you know about it? So they were reading an Orson, <clears throat> Orson Welles. Okay, they were reading an Orson Welles, like, book. Yeah, 1984? Mm, I think it's a different book. Anyway, they were reading a book on the radio about, <clears throat> like, Martians, they were getting, the world, the world is getting attacked. Well, some people didn't know it was a dramatization. And they believed it was true. And they freaked out. Some people committed suicide. Suicide. So that was, people in history have believed lies. Think back to Satan. You know what I mean? He thought he could be greater than God. He fell. Think about Adam and Eve. You know, the Bible's full of that. Think about the Israelites going to the promised land, and the spies come back, and they say, oh, my goodness. Ten of them said, they, they are big. They're giants. We are like grasshoppers compared to them. They thought that God wasn't strong enough. That's a lie. Think about classic literature. Romeo and Juliet. 
Think about, there's that Christmas story where the girl sells her hair and the guy, what's that called? Gets in the magi. Okay, they're both believing that the other one's doing something else. They're believing lies. So this, this theme about believing what is not true, it permeates our society. It permeates our world. You know, think about everyday life. Think about yourself. If I believe someone doesn't like me, I'll feel inferior. Or if I think that someone is mean to me, like sometimes the Walmart checker, maybe she's like stressed out or something. She's not very friendly to me. So because she's not very friendly to me, I'm a little bit scared of her. And I get out. And I do not try to engage her. And I do not have compassion on her. I don't even think about her needing Jesus because she scares me and she's mean to me. So <clears throat> thinking of your husband as a bad guy will not make you trust him. Thinking of him as a bad guy will make you bitter at him. And that's not true. So if I think I look good, I'm confident. If I think Diet Coke is bad for me, I will feel guilty when I drink it. Okay, here's another one. If I think I should be using cloth bags at the grocery store, I would feel guilty every time they ask me if I want paper or plastic. And I feel really guilty when they put the groceries in my trunk and then the cloth bags are laying there. And I always say, I always say, like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be using those every time. But do I use them? No. So because I believe that's better and I'm not doing it, I feel guilty. Because beliefs determine feelings. Beliefs determine feelings. Okay. So when you say, I have faith in you, God, you're in essence saying, my belief is based on that what you say is true. Okay? My belief is, is based on what you say is true. So when you're saying, I have faith in you, God, you're saying, what you're saying here, that's true. That's what faith means. Proper theology equals proper feelings. Proper theology equals proper feelings. So, um, proper theology gives you great glasses. If you believe the truth about who God is, that will flow over into who you believe your husband in, who you believe you are, who you believe your friends are, what you believe about your suffering. Proper theology equals proper feelings. The Bible is true. Much of the world's, everything the world gives you, a lot of what the world is giving you is fake. It's fake news, it's lies. I mean, the people that are taking selfies and saying, you know, I just got up like this. Lie. <laughs> okay? Social media is full of it. Be careful with social media. I'm not anti-social media. I'm just very, very, very cautious of social media. So when you have good theology, and theology is just basically study. Theo, the, theo is God. Study of God. When you have a good study of God, it primes the renewed mind that God gave you when you accepted him as the boss of your life and allows you to think rightly. That's why it's also important to read good books, you know, like you've heard me quote Oswald Chambers, you've heard me quote Tozer probably, Piper. Good books help you put meat on the gospel. Those make God bigger, okay? It challenges the status quo of our society. You gain good theology by reading scripture, like I said, it's good to read big chunks of scripture, but when you're a busy young mom, the big chunk thing is really hard. So if you can just like stay in the same book, 
and keep reading it, maybe over the course of an entire, you know, year or, or a couple months, keep doing that. It keeps the flow and the message the same. If you just go in and say, huh, I'm just going to open the Bible and see what it says today, that's not a good way to gain good theology. It's still exposing yourself to the Word, but a better method is to stay in the same book and study it out. Okay, um, so... There, there's this, put that little meme up that I have, of the, that I found on Facebook. Yep. Okay, girl, read your Bible. Have you guys heard of that book, Girl, Wash Your Face? This is kind of a slap in the face to that. Girl, read your Bible. You can eat all the kale, buy all the things, lift all the ways, take all the trips, trash all that doesn't spark joy, wash your face, and hustle like mad. But if you don't rest your soul in Jesus, you'll never find peace and purpose. That's good, isn't it? It's really good. Okay, if you feed your mind your truth, your believing will be accurate and your feelings will follow. Belief backed by truth is powerful. All right, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Luke 6, 45. Okay, this brings me to my second point, seeing God. And this is where we do our Bible time, which is super fun. Okay, so... You're going to get your workbook out, and it has Ephesians in it, so turn to that place. <clears throat> and while you're turning to that place, I'm actually going to pray a prayer of you that Paul prayed over his Ephesian readers, because it's where, I got, it's where I got this idea of God's love for you from. So while you're doing that, listen. Paul said to the Ephesians, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth drives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Okay, so if I'm going to blow your mind with the amazingness and the extravagance and the lavish love of God, I've got to show you how Paul showed that to the Ephesians. So we're not going to get through the whole book, but the book of Ephesians, um, it talks a lot about love. So... Chapters 1 through 3 are kind of our relationship with God. That's what it deals with. Chapters 4 through 6 deal with our relationship with others. So we're mostly covering 1 through 3 because <clears throat> we're going to talk about God's lavish love. Okay, so get your little Ephesians workbook thing out. And we are going to talk about the God of the already. Okay, the God of the already. Why do I call this section the God of the already? I call it the God of the already because God has already done so many things for you through Jesus. So look at Ephesians. Get a pen. I'm going to have you do something. I like to have you do something um, when, when we're studying the Bible, okay? So look at Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Have a pen handy. Okay. So... I call this the God of the already because if you're in Christ, he's already declared so many things in your favor, even before the beginning of time. So much past tense in the first part of this chapter. Okay, let me show you. So, 
as I read, I want you to circle, circle what God has already done for you if you're in Christ. Okay, so as I read, I want you to do that. I'm going to read 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Father. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he has chosen us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times, the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Did you guys circle a lot of things? He has already done so much for you in Jesus. What are some things he's done? Just shout them out. He has blessed. He has chosen. He has predestined. He has adopted. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us. We've been marked with a seal. He's lavished us with love. He's given us unity with the body. He has made us to be the praise of his glory. We are the praise of his glory. That's amazing. Guess what else? He has included us with Christ. We are heirs with Christ. Christ. We hear that so often, it doesn't blow our minds. Gals, listen, we are heirs with Christ. Christ is your brother. Amazing. These are all true. God has already done all of these marvelous things on your behalf. Why? Because he loves you lavishly. Now let's go back to Ephesians 2. Okay, I'm going to have you cross out something this time. Ephesians 2. Here's what we used to be. It's just one through three, because we want to hear more about what we are now than what we were, but we were this. As for you, you were dead 
in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We were by nature, because we're sinners, deserving of wrath. Did you cross out all those things? Okay, because you're not that anymore. What things did you cross out? Yep, dead in your transgression. When we followed the ways of the world, what else? Disobedient? What did you used to do? Gratify? You used to gratify the cravings of your flesh. By following what? What were you deserving of? You're deserving of wrath. Okay, but that's not the end. Guess what we are now? Let's read 2, 4 through 22. Put a heart around these things, okay? Put a heart around what the God of the already has done for you since. 2, 4 through 22. Here's what God has done for you since. But because of his great love for us. Man, put a heart on all of those words. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. He made us alive. God raised us up with Christ our brother, and seated him, seated us with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, not through, but, but by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. This is not from yourselves. It's not because of what you do. It's not because of what you look like. It's not because of your ambition. It's not because of what you've achieved. It's not because of what people think about you. It's because of God's kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. We're God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were far away excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, but now, but now, but now, in Christ Jesus, not in yourself, not by your works, only by faith, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. We're going to stop there. That's so many things, guys. So many things. He has 
a great love for us. He has made us alive with Christ. He has seated us with him. He has shown his kindness to us by giving us Jesus Christ. That's what you are now. Why did he do this? Because of his great love for you. Because of his great love for you. Okay, let's go to clearing. We, we were talking about our eyes and, and how we visualize. So now we're going to talk about clearing the eyes of our heart. Paul talks about his, the Ephesians. He wants their eyes to be clear so they think rightly. Okay, let's go to Paul's prayer in chapter 1, 15 through 23. Go back to chapter 1. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know here, I want you to put a box around these things that, that you will know once you let your eyes clear because you're starting to believe what's true. Okay, I want you to make a box around these. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now listen. That power, that power is the same as the mighty strength as he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Gals, did you hear what that said? Did you hear what that said about the same spirit in you as as the spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That spirit, when you make God the boss, he gives you his spirit, the Holy Spirit. That spirit is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That's pretty powerful. You have that in you. Don't just read those things quickly and think, oh, that's great. Read them and understand them. You have that same spirit in you. Okay, we're going to go to our third point, seeing love. Do you know why he loves you? Because the Bible tells you so. That's excellent. Okay. You know what? You can go through those same chapters. We're not going to do it because I already made you work a little bit. You can go through the same chapter 1. You can go through chapter 2, 1 through 10, and discover why he loves you. And when you do that, here's what you'll find. He loves you according to his good pleasure. He loves you because he purposed you in Christ. He loves you because he chose you. He loves you so he could show the kindness of Christ to you, kindness in Christ to you. He loved you because it's a gift to you. He loved you so you could do good works. Now, how many of those are dependent on us? None are dependent on us. Write that on your sheet. None are dependent on me. None are dependent on me. None of those things we have in Christ are dependent on you. None are dependent on how you feel about yourself. None are dependent on how other people think of you. 
They're all dependent on what God thinks of you. God doesn't love like a human. God is God, and it's wrong when we personify him. In fact, Paul had so much trouble describing him, he had to to come to terms that we have in space, you know, wide, long, high, deep, because God can't be held in space. If we have faith in this love, what can we do? Well, Ephesians 3.12 says, because of Jesus, we can now enter the throne of grace with freedom and confidence. Say that with me. Freedom and confidence. When you are in Jesus, you can enter the throne of grace with what? Freedom and confidence. So next time you're feeling like, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that. No, you are an heir with Christ and you can enter the throne of grace and request things with what? Freedom and confidence. Excellent. Don't we all dream dreams of somebody to ride in a white horse and rescue us and lavishly love us? I have that dream. Well, you know what? Jesus rode a donkey over 2,000 years ago, and he loved you so much, he died on a cross. It's true. He lavishly loves you. So if I believe the things I read in Ephesians 1 through 2, how should that change me? Well, here's how it should change you. When Paul had just understood that he shouldn't fight against the Christians, that Jesus was real, he's on the road to Emmaus, and God struck him, and he became blind. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so that, um, the, the statement also continues and said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads in some of our translations. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So uh, a goad is like a pointed stick, and it hurts if you kicked, like when, when people were maybe riding a horse or tending cattle, it hurt more if they would kick against it. So it pushed against them because the stick would go into their heel. So when we resist God proddings to come to him, we think we can earn our own way because we actually feel better about doing something. We don't understand that it's a free gift. We already have these things because it feels better to check off a box on a list. Activity is the default. Remember that, gals. Activity is the default. We want activity. So stop pushing. God away. You're not strong enough. Paul wasn't strong enough. Check out Philippians 3. He says all of these things he had accomplished and was great. He'd done great things. But all of those were rubbish compared to his gain in Christ. Stop labeling yourself as bad. I think that's more of our default than, hey, I'm fantastic. Stop labeling yourself as bad. I don't read my Bible enough. You know, I don't pray enough. Well, no, we can't do any of that enough. We can do our best. We can walk day by day and do what we can. You're not good enough. Jesus is good enough. So stop basing your worth on what the world bases your worth on. Stop basing your worth on performanceism. Or stop basing your worth on what you can achieve. Maybe you're a person who, who is more like that. Like, hey, look at me, look at me. God is looking at you, and he sees you as you are, and he knows you're a sinner, but he still says, come to me. I have a free gift of eternal life for you. So all the quiet times in the world, they're fantastic. Getting with God is good, and it helps you to know him better, but they're not going to earn you more points with him. He sees you covered with Christ's robe of righteousness, and anything you can do is not going to change that. So stop trying to gain his approval. You already have it. You are lavishly loved. He died in your place. Your motive will change from guilt to love when you find you don't have to do anything, but you want to do everything 
for him. When you fall in love with the love of God, you won't be able to stay away. There was a time where I was feeling kind of far from God, and I started walking with my dog in the morning, and I saw the sunrise, and it was so loving to me. I just felt so like God did it for me. And so I wanted to go out every day and let him show me his love for me. So maybe tonight, you know, when it gets dark, you can look up and see the stars. We're going to talk about Psalm 19 this afternoon because God did that. He didn't have to. He did that for you. Trust God. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Sometimes it's easier to trust in rules and boundaries, in activity, because they give you a false tally of your goodness. Um, but God sees you as holy not because you do those things, but because you're covered in Christ's robe of righteousness. He looks down and he sees Jesus, not you, what you do, whether people see you as. You don't deserve it. God decided it. You can't pay down the debt because it's an unbelievably uneven exchange. He took your sin and gave you his righteousness. Your debt has not just been paid, it's been removed. You won't always feel like he loves you. And you might be afraid of what he'll do sometimes. Sometimes I'm afraid to pray like, oh, teach me this or teach me. Because I don't know what God will do. But if we trust his character, sometimes we can't trace his hand. But if we trust his heart, then we don't have to be afraid of him. We can, we can enter his, his gate with freedom and confidence. <clears throat> Here's what I've told my kids to do. Um, and I want you to do it. And we're almost done. So I want you to think about how you're going to do this when you leave. Okay? So... Find a symbol that will remind you of God's love for you. So Tess, what did I tell you guys? To Redbird. Okay, so Redbird mostly is a cardinal. But I told my kids when they look around and see a Redbird, they remember that God loves them. My friend Jody decided that she would look for monarchs. Because monarchs, you can't do something you're going to see all the time. Because then that takes away some of the awe and the effect of it. But if you, see, if you do something like a church bell or a butterfly that's only present part of the year. So my friend Jody said she was going to use a monarch as the way to remind her that God loves her and God is here. God is present. And she was having a bad week last week, and she texted me and said, Tori, you'll never believe. I was feeling kind of far away from God, and I asked him to let me know that he loves me. And I walked out, and there were just just dozens and dozens of monarchs flying around. And she just started crying because she had chosen that symbol to, to remind her of the truth that God lavishly loved her. So I want you to start thinking about that right now. What will it be for you? Will it be, will it be like a cardinal, like it is for me? Will it be a monarch? Will it be a church bell? Will it be, I don't know, will it be when the wind blows? Find yourself a symbol to remind you of what's true. And lastly, I want you to, we talked about this last night, surrender your view of your identity. Now that you've determined you're no longer the boss, you no longer have rights to yourself, you'll notice that servitude simplifies life. You know who calls the shots. I had to do that big time when my kids left home because I thought I was in kind of in charge of what my life was supposed to look like, and it didn't look like that anymore. So I had to trust that God knew what he was doing and that I could, I could find deep satisfaction in the life that I was now living. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live, now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that my alarm to, like, be done? Because I'm almost done. So when you 
ask in your identity in Christ, you are freed from the craziness of looking for your identity in people and places where it can't be found. That's Paul Tripp said that. When you bask in your identity in Christ, you are freed from the craziness of looking for your identity in people and places where it can't be found. You must anchor your identity in Christ and what he accomplished, not what you have, not what you have accomplished. This is really hard, but it's completely countercultural, but it's completely doable if you're in Christ. God's approval not rests not on my transformation, but on Jesus' substitution. Jesus is infallibly devoted to us in spite of our inconsistent devotion to him. Jesus is infallibly devoted to us despite our inconsistent devotion to him. So we're going to do our catchphrase again, and I'm going to let the worship people come up. And then I'm going to go ride horses. So, um, yeah, I want you guys to believe in the wide and long and deep, lavish love God has for you. But you have to do that by believing what is true. So let's do our catchphrase again. Can you put that up? Believing what is really true is what will truly happy you. See, you guys don't even need it. They don't even need it. Okay. Believing what is really true is what will truly happy you. All right. Believe what is true. You are lavishly loved. Sometimes when I want to make a new friend, I'll say, come walk with me. So thanks for joining us today on this walking and talking journey as we walk together and strive to keep in step with Jesus.